You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. So glad you all chose to come to church this morning. So I got some really exciting news, um, a year in the making. I'm really excited this morning to announce uh, that this morning and over the next several weeks we're going to be giving away a book that I just wrote called The Prince from the Ashes. And it's been a year in the making, something brewing in my heart for quite some time, a book about our gospel, our gospel identity that's available in Jesus for every single believer. And uh, it's an important message. Uh, it comes from Psalm 113 that he lifts the needy from the ashes and places them with princes. And so the extravagance of the gospel to not just take us from our place of desperation and place us back on neutral ground, but he lifts us from our place of desperation and props us up with princes and a kingdom. And it is a radical message, even scandalous message, an extravagant message, an inexhaustible message. And so I wrote this book over the course of a year in an attempt to invite more people into that encounter with the love of God. And so throughout this book, we dive into the love of the Father, the love of the Son, and the love of the Holy Spirit in three sections. Each section has a response, uh, time for you to reflect, to look over the scripture that was unpacked as well. So I'm really excited about the next several weeks. You can pick it up for free, um, just giving it away because I want to pour into our church and invest in your own growth. Um, if you're an e-reader person or an audiobook version person, those are available online. You can purchase either of those on Amazon. The audiobook version is not yet available. It won't be available for a couple weeks, but, um, but free, paperback. If you, can, if you can go old school, you can get it for free. <laughs> so this morning and over the next several weeks, they'll be available. You go ahead and pick it up in the lobby. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Josh, Joshua chapter 1. We're going to be kind of bouncing around uh, a number of Old Testament passages this morning, but I'm excited to share a message Entitled Worship is Warfare in this series called Battle Lines. We've been talking about the spiritual battle that is the Christian life for the last several weeks, kicking off the new year. I pray that you've been blessed by it. If you've missed any of the messages, you can find them online, find them on the podcast or on YouTube or our website. Um, but this Christian life should be thought of as a battle. Don't be, don't be misinformed. Don't be caught off guard. Please understand this, this journey of faith, this walk with Jesus is a battle. And there is an enemy seeking to steal, kill, and destroy your life. So this morning I want to talk about worship as warfare. A major aspect of even what we do as we gather together on Sunday mornings is worship. And I don't want you to be misinformed. I don't want you to be uninformed about why we do what we do. I believe too many believers are caught off guard by the realities and the brutality of the battle that you find yourself in in the journey. And you're, you're all, all of a sudden blindsided by the enemy, thought, thinking this thing was just kind of a casual walk in the park, when in reality it's a pretty gruesome battle. Recently, a few months ago, I was, uh, we picked up a, a weekday tradition in my household before the snow had fallen, the days were getting shorter, and me and my three oldest kids, we, we played a a number of nights successively of backyard football in the dark. So I, I turned on some floodlights, and over a course of a number of nights, we played um, two-hand touch football in the backyard. It was a blast. It was a success because no one got hit in the face of the football because we're playing in the dark. But my two daughters loved it. My oldest son, we had a blast. After three nights of this, 
We came in, we came inside grabbing a, a, you know, a bedtime snack and my, my youngest of the ones that were playing, my six-year-old, she said, Dad, it has been a blast playing baseball with you the last few nights. <laughs> it was just a blast. It was like we had played for, we had said the word football several times over the course of three days. We had had a blast. I thought we were connecting. We were on the same page, but in reality, we were not. We were speaking a different language. And I believe many believers find themselves in that same position, even going through the motions of what they think of as Christianity. And really, they're misinformed, they're ill-informed. And when it comes to worship, I, I find that largely people are quite misinformed. And when I'm saying worship this morning, I'm talking about the, like the holy gathering of God's people, the household of faith, actually corporately exalting Jesus and magnifying God in a place. I find that a lot of, a lot of times people are, are misinformed. Why do we worship? Why do we do this? Is it just because people like music? I mean, I think ever since the Reformation, you know, worship has been a part of, you know, Sunday morning uh, church gatherings. Why is it we do? I, th- I thought we just worshiped so the preacher doesn't have to preach as long, you know, so we don't have to listen to him as long. So, but we're going to unpack this. There's a, there's a strong biblical foundation and impetus behind why we do what we do when we come together as the household of God. I'll point you again to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, where it says, for though we walk in the flesh, it's in the physical, in the natural, we're physical beings, we're, we're natural beings, we're not waging war according to the natural, the physical, according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. And amongst the other weapons or battle lines that we've been talking about over the last several weeks, worship is another way in which we dismantle the strongholds of the enemy. And we dismantle the the lofty opinions that the enemy is putting forth over your minds, over your hearts, over our city. Worship is another battle line that we want to define this morning for, for, for God's people. So this is the main idea that I want to unpack this morning, that worship positions us to fight the right battle in the right way. Worship positions us to fight the right battle in the right way. Let's look here at Joshua chapter one. We're going to look at the example of Joshua, one of the leaders of Israel. We're also going to look at another Old Testament example in King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. So you could kind of put a marker in those in those parts of your Bible. We're going to look at Joshua as he's commissioned. So here in Joshua chapter one, Moses had just died. Um, Joshua had been appointed as uh, Moses' successor. And God commissions Joshua, just like he commissions all of his leaders throughout, throughout his redemptive story and points him to his promises over his life. Let's pray before we read Joshua chapter 1. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your presence, for your reality in this place. And I pray over every heart and over every mind, over every person joining us online, that you would be the preeminent reality, that you would be the dominant reality in this place, just as Joe prayed earlier. That, Lord, all the cares of this life, the circumstances, the crises that we face, they would all of a sudden just 
shrivel up, they'd fade away in light of your glory, in light of who you are, in light of your love and your reality. I pray that in your mighty name, Lord, pierce our hearts. And I also pray over this church. I pray that we would step into the battle that you've called us to fight, that we wouldn't back down, that we wouldn't be timid, but instead, in like a courageous, valiant way, we would grab the weapons that you've equipped us with, with as, the church, as the church of Jesus, and we would take new ground for your kingdom. I pray it in your mighty name. Let's read this, starting in verse three. We're just gonna read just a snippet here of Joshua's commissioning so that you have the background. But it says, I promise you what I promised Moses. This is the Lord talking to Joshua. Wherever you set foot, you'll be on land I have given you. From the Negev, wilderness in the south, to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates rivers, a river in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. That is the backdrop of the promise spoken over Joshua's life and over his leadership. He was launched into his leadership journey with a with a, a sure promise that wherever he sets his foot, they, they, God's writing a story. God has a plan. He has promises. And I want to tell you this morning, as the church, as children of God, it is our privilege to be a part of what God is doing on the earth right now. It is our privilege. It's our honor. We're not, we're not inviting God to bless what we're doing. We're so desperately seeking to be a part of what he's doing. And so often we get that wrong. Worship makes us more aware of him so we're more enthralled with who he is and what he is about uh, on, the, on the earth right now. So I believe that sometimes we are we're self-deceived and we slightly, subtly, over time, we veer away from God's purposes, God's agenda, and we've in reality embraced our own agenda. And before we know, we're beginning to ask God to you know, equip us with weapons to fight our battles. When in reality, God has, God has invited us into his battle and equipped us to be a part of what he's doing. So let's first unpack this, that worship positions us to fight in the right battle. We need to make sure that we're fighting the right battle. This isn't self-help. This is attuning ourselves to what God is doing. And God is waging a war against the enemy. And he's calling us to be a part of it. So flip ahead just a few chapters to Joshua chapter five, because Joshua himself has to be reminded of this backdrop of, of the promise of God over his life, that God has a story. You don't have to be so self, um, self-absorbed about your plans, your agenda, your story. Instead, God's writing a story. This whole thing was his idea. He's the author of it. He started it. He appointed us. He commissioned us. He, he put promises upon our life. So we don't have to freak out. So here, Joshua is really called to his like, first test, to the fortress of Jericho. He's called to come against Jericho, and he's standing outside of Jericho, this very intimidating fortress, massive walls and, and closed gates, because the, the people of Jericho, they've heard about Israel. So they closed up the gates all tight. In verse 13, it says, When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, Are you friend or foe? 
Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. What an encounter of worship Joshua just had. He has this encounter with Jesus. Most scholars call this, if you want to be a nerd this morning, you can write down the word Christophany. That's, most scholars believe this to be a Christophany, an, a, an appearance or an encounter with Jesus in the same realm as like the burning bush encounter of Moses. Here he sees the commander of the Lord's army before him. Not knowing exactly who's standing in front of him, he asks him the question, you know, are, you, are you fighting with us or are you against us? And I want us to take note this morning of Jesus' response here, of the commander of the Lord's army response. He says, neither one. He says, neither one. He had his own battle. And it, it all gets flipped on head. It's not as God fighting for you or against you. It's are you fighting with God? Are you even fighting in his battle? Are you fighting in the right battle? And worship, and you see Joshua's response here, he falls down in reverence and worship before the Lord. That's the proper response, is all of a sudden you realize, okay, I'm at your disposal, I'm, at, I'm, I'm completely submitted to you. And that is the position of worship. Posi the, worship uh, the position of worship puts God's people, the children of God, face down before their commander, before the captain of the Lord's army, and says, we are submitted to you, Jesus. We're, we're submitted to what you wanna do in this hour, in this moment in history, in our generation. We're submitted to you. So please take note, as we talk about battle lines, as we talk about the weapons of our warfare, these are not shortcuts for life. This is not ways to cheapen our relationship with the Lord like he's a genie in a bottle. This is not for you to somehow get the upper hand for a better life. Worship is the place through which we make ourselves available to the commander of the Lord's army, to King Jesus himself. It's not, God, are you with us or are you against us? It's, are we with him? Are we submitted to him? And worship week after week and throughout our weeks, as you, as you begin to live a lifestyle of worship throughout your week, declaring worship to him, yes, singing songs of worship, allowing worship to always be on your lips, you're positioning yourself in this place to fight in the right battle, to place yourself at his feet, I believe we can, a lot of times, and I think Joshua was the same, same here. He assumed he understood correctly. He assumed he understood the Lord's battle and that he, was, he, he started to put together his strategy, his plan. Okay, I know how I'm gonna, take, I'm gonna take down Jericho here. The Lord needed to make sure he had his heart. And so he has this radical encounter with him that brings him to his knees. And I believe that's needed in the church. It's needed, especially in the Western church, for us to come on our knees before the Lord, for us to empty ourselves before him and say, God, we don't know how to fight this battle. We're at your disposal. We're submitted to you. And you may know the story. You know, God gives him his marching orders. It's, it's pretty unorthodox. It's never been done before, nor is it ever repeated again. 
He tells them to march around the walls of Jericho over a period of, of days, and on the final day, march around seven times. It's a great military strategy. I don't know if you've tried it but, or heard about it, but it worked for them. They'll never use it again. It wasn't so much about the methods. It was about the submission and the posture of their hearts. So what happens over time if we're not careful, if we're not aware, if also if we, don't, if we don't readily find ourselves in this position of worship, we can easily conflate our battles with God's battles. And I want to tell you emphatically, they are not the same. Your battles are not the same as God's battles. And I believe right now, especially in the church in America, there needs to be a lot of repentance for idolizing politics, for idolizing political leaders, the church needs to repent for assuming that we understand the battle. Can I tell you, we don't. The church is saying, Lord, are you fighting with us? Or are you fighting against us? He's saying, neither one. Are you with me? We assume we understand the battle and then we, we come into the Lord's presence and we encounter Jesus for ourselves and we find out how small we are in light of who he is. And then we're just enthralled in worship. Like, we're just ecstatic to be called a child of God. We're just ecstatic to be, co- be called redeemed, bought with a high price, a plan and a purpose. Then all of a sudden the tables are turned. You're like, God, I'm just so excited to be a part of what you're doing right now. I'm just so excited to be here in this moment, to have breath in my lungs, to have a call on my life, to be a part of what you're doing on the earth right now. That's worship. It throws down all of our wisdom and it exalts Jesus. You know, the, the, the world, the battles of the flesh, the battles in the natural world, they're fueled by controversy. That's what gets the clicks and the views. So we're drawn to that. The world loves that. Our generation, we never get enough of it. But we have to know as Christians that too often I believe that we're getting pulled into the controversies and the battles of this world. Well, worship allows us all to get swept away by the reality of God's awesome presence and power and realize that much of that does not matter. Instead, what matters is what God is calling us to be a part of and what he's doing right now on the earth. You know, two weeks ago, we had the the privilege of being a part of a week of prayer, setting aside a week of prayer. And I believe for us, that served to set, you know, press the reset button for us. To say, God, move in us. We're desperate, we're hungry for you to move in this place to move in our city. We want to be attuned to your agenda, your priorities. Start here in our hearts. Bring revival in my heart. Bring revival in my family. Bring revival in our church. Start right here, Lord Jesus. This hunger stirring in our church. And I praise God for the hunger in many of your hearts. I believe apathy in the church is equivalent to a lack of hunger. Hunger is synonymous with an awareness of God's presence. And it was an amazing week. We had 12 people baptized in water. We had a report of a woman being healed of cancerous melanoma in her face. Many other answers to prayer. And I believe for us, it allowed us to press the reset button for 2021. For us to place ourselves again before the Lord and say, God, we're submitted to you. Dick Eastman said that revival is an increased awareness of God. 
A.W. Tozer said, in my study and observations, a revival generally results in a sudden bestowment of a spirit of worship. This is not a result of engineering or manipulation. It's something God bestows on people hungering and thirsting for him. With this spiritual renewing will come a blessed spirit of loving worship. So I believe we have an opportunity to have a, a Joshua sort of encounter when we gather, coming before the commander of the Lord's army, falling on our knees and saying, we're submitted to you, God. Once again, we're submitted to you. That's why I see in the days to come worship being a pillar of what God does here in this household, in this house, in this family. Worship and prayer go two and or they go hand in hand. They're like uh, a marriage. And so Jesus, I believe, is positioning us for victory. Worship positions us with victory. Faithlessness in the church is the result of being pulled into the wrong battles. And so worship then positions us with victory. Let's look at uh, that passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And I'm going to call us to respond this morning in worship. So I'm trying to cruise through this so that we can actually respond in a corporate way this morning. Maybe you're familiar of the passage in Revelation chapter 3 where it says that Jesus, as he calls on the church of Laodicea, he's standing on the door and knocking. You often think of that as, that as, a, as a call for salvation. But in its most direct context, he's standing and knocking on the door of the church. I, I wonder how many churches that Jesus is actually welcome into. How many churches have their own agenda? They're fighting their own battle and they're hoping that God will bless it. I don't want to be caught in that position or Jesus is on the outside knocking, wanting to come in. But instead, he'd find a radical, um, set-apart, surrendered uh, group of children of God you know, just enthralled with him, so hungry to spend time in his presence, more in love with him today than ever before, positioned to fight in the right battle. So let's look at this passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Jehoshaphat was a good king. His dad, Asa, was a good king as well. I know we have a lot of babies going on right now in the church, so this is a great name if anybody wants to take it. First come, first serve, Jehoshaphat. Just, it's got a real great ring to it. But King Jehoshaphat was a good king. He was humble, dependent on the Lord. In the context here of 2 Chronicles 20, some of the neighboring nations are beginning to um, war against Judah, beginning to press in around him. And fear begins to set in. And his response is, is one for the ages. It's, it's amazing. Verse, we'll, we'll, I encourage you to read all of Second Chronicles 20, but for the sake of time, skip down to verse 15. It says, he said, listen all you people of Judah. Sorry, this is not Jehoshaphat speaking. This is the Lord speaking through Jehaziel. Listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. God's the one writing the story. This is his story, remember. It's, it's his battle. It's not yours. So you don't have to be afraid. You do not have to be discouraged. Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. 
but you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you. O people of Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Then King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites from the clans of Kohath and Korah stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud shout. Early in the morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, Listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you'll be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground. As far as they could see, not a single one of the enemy had escaped. You see, when we're a part of God's battle, we realize that we're not fighting against flesh and blood. There's a spiritual battle going on. And so the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They're not of the physical but instead, they are, they are weapons that, st- that tear down strongholds, tear down the lofty opinions of the enemy. And so here, once again, we have the, the, the battle strategies of God playing out before our eyes. And here it is, it, what's leading the way is worship. Hearts abandoned in worship to God, singing praise and thanksgiving, defying logic, Every, every natural sense, every military sense, instead, taking their position. That's what he says. He says, take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you. Worship is the position of victory for the people of God. It's dependence on God. It's the pathway for God's power rather than our own. So worship is the positions us to fight the right battle in the right way. It's making space for God's power to move in a moment. The world doesn't need more impressive superstars. They need God's power. And so what's needed in this hour is people that are submitted to God in such a way that makes space for his power to move in a moment. This is not to say that God's not going to ask us to do anything. It usually is a partnership, but it's worship that leads the way. It makes the way and it readies us to be used by God. Then we're open to do what he's called, called us to do. So this weapon of worship as warfare, it defies logic. It doesn't make sense, but this is the position of dependence on God. Do we really believe that it's his power that's needed? Or are we more Uh, convinced of our own power, of our own abilities. The proof is in our actions. You know, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus gives the early church that command. Don't leave Jerusalem. Like, you will fail miserably without my power. He says, do not leave Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. This is the position of victory for the church. 
We're positioned for power in the place of worship. You know, you hear in this passage and in the Joshua 5 passage as, uh, as Israel takes Jericho, it's the Levitical priests that led the way into, into battle. That's right. Those poor suckers, right? That's what the world says. Like, they're sending out the singers. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the tambourines and, you know, the altos, great. But that is the way of the kingdom. We lead the way through faith. It's the worshipers that are the guardians of the presence of God. And you know, God calls you a priest. He calls you a priest unto the Lord. So Revelations calls the children of God a priest. So you're like one of the Levitical priests. And you have a calling upon your life into the place of worship. To enter the right battle and fight in the right way, making space for the power of God to move. It's all about him. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. I'm going to end with one more example, maybe a story that you've, you're familiar with in Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas get put in prison in Philippi for the simple reason of delivering a young girl from demon possession. And they're put in prison for it because these men were profiting from her um, demonization. So they set the girl free, they're put in prison. Well, before they're put in prison, they're flogged, you know, beaten and bloodied. They're put in prison. And what is their response in the prison place? Maybe you're familiar with the story. It's singing worship and thanksgiving to the Lord. That is the position. I just encourage you to, to think if that would be your response, the response of Paul and Silas. After being beaten and bloodied, thrown in prison for simply helping a young girl, and your response is worship. It's adoration. If you're familiar with the story, you know what happens. The, the prison doors are, there's an earthquake and the prison doors are flung wide open. Even the shackles on their feet are released. In our era of self-preservation and personal safety, we would all be like, this is our time to get out of here. But if you know the story, the, the jailer is gonna take his life because all the, all the inmates are, are escaping. Instead of thinking through the lens of self-preservation, Paul and Silas stop and realize, oh yeah, we're not in our battle, we're in God's battle. And we're gonna make space even in a greater way for God's power to be seen and released and known. And so they stop and they minister to the jailer. I mean, it's so counterintuitive. It so much defies logic. But they, they're living a life of worship, making sure they're fighting the right battle in the right way. And the jailer and his entire household encounter Jesus. They all get saved. They all get baptized in water. That is the position of worship, fighting the right battle in the right way. If you'd all stand to your feet, we're gonna respond to the Lord. I wanted us to, I wanted to end my message earlier to give us time to respond in worship. Because I don't want there to be any confusion. I am talking about corporate worship. I'm talking about the household of God worshiping together. There is a collective faith and a collective exaltation of the presence of God that happens when we gather. I pray you experience a lifestyle of worship Monday through Saturday as well, but there is something sacred about God's providential plan for his church in this hour, and, and I believe much of that is realized 
when we find ourselves in a position of worship on a weekly basis. This is what Ian Bounds says. God still lives. Miracles still live while God still lives and acts. For miracles are God's way of acting. Prayer is dwarfed, withered, and petrified when faith, uh, when God is staggered by doubts of his ability or through the shrinking caused by fear. When faith has a telescopic, far-off vision of God, prayer works no miracles and brings no marvels of deliverance. But when God is seen by, by faith's closest, fullest eye, prayer makes a history of wonders. I pray that would be the case for us right here in Ames, Iowa. We'd be so enthralled by God. Like our vision of God, we'd be so enthralled by his wonder and his beauty. Our vision of him would be so big that nothing could stand against us because nothing can stand against him because we'd be in his battle and not him in ours. So Lord, we respond to you this morning. We respond to your word that pierces hearts. It's like a two-edged sword separating soul and spirit, separating that which is of the flesh and that's what, that which is of the spirit. And Lord, this morning as a church, we repent of any ulterior agendas, any priorities that have taken your rightful position in our hearts and in this church. We turn from that. And we throw ourselves at your feet, like Joshua at the feet of the commander of the Lord's army, in reverence. And we say, Lord, we're at your service. We are yours. We're submitted to you. I believe the Lord says to us, even in this hour, in 2021, where fear is, is being um, you know, vomited on our generation every minute, fear and anxiety, panic, hysteria, the Lord is saying to us, do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but it's God's. And this is what he says. He says, take your positions then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you. That's what he's saying to us. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you. His presence is here. And when his presence is in a place, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. It's in that place that he's empowering us for witness in this world to truly be light in the darkness. If you'd move out of your seats in this place, we're gonna have an extend, extended time of worship. Either move to the front or find a place off on the side to worship, to have your own Joshua encounter, to have your own King Jehoshaphat encounter at the feet of Jesus. I say to you, take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory, for he is with you. I believe you need an encounter with the presence of the Lord this morning. Take your positions and stand still and watch the Lord's victory. Worship is your position of fighting the, the right battle in the right way. It's just like this. It's on your knees. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.com.